This is a wee bit of everything. The podcast that explores all things sport and teaching. Hello there and welcome to the A Wee Bit of Everything podcast with your hosts Lewis and Clark. Thanks for coming back to tune in to this week's episode. We really are amazed by all the support we have received from everyone so far. Our partner of the podcast is Premiership Experience who have played a big role in helping us develop. Premiership Experience offer fantastic sports tours within the UK and abroad so be sure to check them out on Twitter at Prem Experience. This is a professional learning platform where we get ideas and insights from like-minded professionals. Our vision is to inspire, to teach and to entertain. So let's get started with this week's episode of A Wee Bit of Everything. This week on the A Wee Bit of Everything podcast, we are joined by Dr. Mike Jess from the University of Edinburgh, who is a senior lecturer in physical education. His personal interests focus on the relationship between complexity thinking, ecological perspectives and professional practice. He is currently project leader of Visions and Voices, which we're going to hear more about in this episode. This is a longitudinal project that seeks to develop teachers' personal visions as a key feature of future developments in physical education. Mike's recent work is concentrated on complex adaptive practice, boundary crossing, transdisciplinary learning, lesson study, and self-study. So there's a lot to get through, so let's get started with this week's episode of A Wee Bit of Everything. Hi Mike, how are you doing? Thanks for joining uh, A Wee Bit of Everything, how are you doing? I'm very good, thanks for having me on. No, it's our pleasure, we're looking forward to chatting more about the, the Vision and Voices project that you're running at uh, the University of Edinburgh. Um, I know you've been working on it the last few while and it's something you're, you're passionate about. So before we get into that, um, could you give us and the listeners a background information on your career to date? My career to date, okay, so it's, um, we're up to 38 years, is it? Or is it more than that? So, um, or is it 48? Oh, it's 48 years, so it could take a long time. Basically, I taught for 12 years in primary schools and in secondary schools, um, mostly in Fife, although I'm from Glasgow. Um, I also taught for three years in Kuwait in the Middle East. Um, And for a couple of years there, I was a head of a PE department, which was a wonderful experience because it was a a staff that were from four or five different countries and the kids came from 60 different countries as well. So that was a really sort of interesting experience. When I came back to Scotland, ended up working in primary, did my master's and ended up um, getting a job down in Manchester Metropolitan University down in England. And I worked there for about 10 years. And during that time, I also spent a year out in America, in Oregon. Mm-hmm. Um, so taught in a small university out there. Um, came back, started my PhD. Um, and in 1999, got a job in Edinburgh University. And I've been there now for the last 22 years. Um, and I suppose throughout most of that time, my interest has been on, on primary PE. Mm-hmm. But increasingly, lots of the work that I've done with my team um, moved us into the direction of not just working in all PE, but education and beyond. And that will be part of what we talk about later. Yeah. Um, 
Sounds so, like you've had a bit of experience in the both both sectors then. Um, would you mind if I asked you then, um, and why is there not PE teachers in the primary sector or would you be an advocate of that? Well, I mean, I think there's two, there's, there's two interesting discussions there. Um, on the one hand, um, we as PE people are specialists in our area mm -hmm. and in primary schools in our country and in many countries, primary education is seen as much more general. So I think there's a really interesting debate as to why would you have someone who is a specialist in primary schools? Um, and I suppose in Scotland, there are specialists, but they mostly are used for cover, um, which gives you an idea of perhaps where PE is perceived in that mm -hmm. primary school context. Um, we were quite lucky for about seven or eight years got money from the government and we were able to work on a postgraduate certificate and so was Glasgow for primary teachers to develop a specialism in primary PE or in PE mm -hmm. um, I, and I actually think that my own take would be that working with primary teachers to become more specialist in PE is probably the route forward mm -hmm. as opposed to people who mostly want to be secondary teachers but that's a debate that will go on forever yeah i suppose if they're trained in that area as well then they're probably best suited the primary teachers to to work with that age group well when i started doing it i, get, I mean i remember working I, mean, I ended up becoming really really interested in it but it took a long time because my background was working with you know 16 17 18 year olds and in a sense the the content of PE was just very, very different. Yeah. And if you're working with four and five year olds, it became fascinating, mm. but it was, it was so difficult um, because that's not what my knowledge base was. Um, but I learned so much from the kids, it was brilliant. So, uh, see, back, yeah. was, it, was it 1999? You said you started in Edinburgh. Yeah. Right. So, did you start off with a kind of initial interest in primary PE or was that kind of? later on. It'd be interesting to see what it was like, the kind of focus on primary PE back then and how they kind of went about it. Well, that was interesting because my, when I'd worked in England, my focus had been primary. So, I mean, really from about 86, 87, 87, till I came back to Scotland, I really focused on primary stuff and I did a lot of work um, with a lot of the developmental PE people out in the States. Um, so, when I came back to Scotland, yeah, I mean, there was a sort of, um, certainly at Edinburgh, there was some primary PE, um, but I think some with a small S as opposed to with a, with a large S. Um, and certainly now we have a group of four or five people who are very much focused in the first year of the undergraduate programme on primary PE. Mm -hmm. um, and that's been, in fact, we've probably got about five, six, maybe seven people who really have a particular interest in primary PE working in the department now. So there yeah. has been a change. Yeah. Um, it's got a bit, been, more, a bit more, they saw the value in it a lot more then. Well, certainly some people have, yeah, yes. Some people have. Um, yeah. yes. That's, that's what um, one, of the, one of the guests we had on, I think it was Evelyn from Strathclyde Clark, remember she was talking about right. how the postgrad, they've allocated a lot more time on the postgrad for primary teachers specific to PE teaching. It was something yeah. like it was such a small input that they two got. Hours, two hours, yeah, and I, I, something like that. I over the year, and then they're expected mm -hmm. to 
be confident to go and teach that. So I think there was a big push there. Yeah, I mean, certainly. For, I mean, I'm, I'm talking about all these people to do with relation to the primary, uh, sorry, the PE students. In terms of, we don't really have a primary programme anymore at Edinburgh. Um, but when that moved, when that started to disappear, there wasn't a lot of PE in it. Yeah. But there also wasn't, and it's always important to remember this, there also wasn't an awful lot of other subject areas. Yeah. You know, so it, it's not as if PE is picked on. Yeah, yeah. It, it's just how much do you cram into? If you think of the one years that one year that you guys did, yeah, not a lot. You know, if you're having to cover the whole curriculum, mm -hmm. you know, how much time can you actually give? You know, so it's yeah. a especially in primary as well, where you've got so many curricular areas to to get through. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Eight, or, eight or nine or so. So I, um, so. We're going to move on to the the vision the vision project, uh, and before we before we kind of get into what it's about, um, what what's kind of attracted you to the project in the first place, Mike? I mean, I suppose I mean when you call it a, a, a project, yeah. What attracted, I suppose, was I was very lucky to get lots and lots of money and able to develop a team um, at Edinburgh. And we did lots and lots of work in primary PE, and there's still about five or six of the teams still part of you know the, the, the department at the university. And what happened was that an awful lot of the stuff that we were doing around complexity and ecology and other aspects, we started to realize that what we were doing in primary was actually very appropriate, and people were telling us it was very appropriate for secondary. And really about eight or nine years ago, I started to get involved with and then lead the final year course for the undergraduate programme, which was about curriculum. It was all about aims um, of PE. And it was a really, really interesting course. But, and this is where the point starts to change from aims to vision. What happened was that the we became concerned that the students, perhaps understandably, and again, we've all been there, they wanted to give us the right answer. So even though they were in the final degree, final year of a degree after four years, we wanted to find out what they thought the aims of PE were about. Mm -hmm. um, but it was quite clear it was, in a sense, what do you want us to tell you? So the big shift, and over time, we started to or we found this whole idea of the vision of the teacher. Um, and there's a lady called Karen Hammerness out in the States who used to work in one of the big universities out there. And she did a lot of work in this about 15, 20 years ago. And it became, for us, it became really compelling is that how can we shift the students thinking from what they think we want mm -hmm. to what actually they think and then the more you start to think about that you go well wait a minute the future of physical education are we going to leave it to people in universities or people in government or should the teachers really not have a voice in terms of where pe goes in the future so i genuinely believe that the vision of teachers in physical education is an unbelievably important part, A, of, of their development as teachers, but also 
of the way the subject will head in the future. Yeah. Because PE is not just one thing. It's a multiple number of things. And I'm sure you work in two different schools. I'm sure you don't do exactly the same stuff. No, no, I'm sure there's things totally that are quite different. Yeah. You know? And I mean, in Scotland, there's 300 secondary schools. They will not be doing exactly the same. So I think the idea, or I am personally completely convinced that the vision that teachers have for physical education and education mm -hmm. is very much the way we need to look at this century. And is that about the, the students, once who graduate from the uni, the, the, they can articulate it when they're asked about their, their vision for PE and what they would like their classes yeah. or departments to look like? And I suppose that's the goal. And what's happened is off the back of moving in that direction, the, 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 the document that's just been validated by the university and by the General Teaching Council of Scotland, the main aim is for exactly what you said, for the students to be able to articulate what their vision for PE is. So it starts in year one and it works its whole way through the programme and then, of course, the interesting bit is down the road, what does this look like as these 100 students a year become part of the, the profession in Scotland and beyond? Mm -hmm. I'm sure, I'm mm. sure it, will, it will change over time as well. Like their vision might, might, might change based on the reflections well, and experiences. Absolutely. Over I mean, the four years. Aye. Well, I mean, what will happen is that it will change over the four years. I mean, you can imagine... I'm sure we can all remember when we left school and what we thought education was, what we thought PE was, um, based on really our only our own experiences in, in one school. So I think that that will change across the university. Of course, we are completely conscious that the university is not a school. Mm. And clearly... Yeah. As, and you will remember this, when you go into teaching school and you're at the chalk face, there are a huge number of issues that start to impact. And the people that become significant are not the lecturers that you had, they become the teachers and the kids that you work with. Mm -hmm. So clearly, it is very unlikely that people's vision will not change um, or, or have to be adapted. Mm -hmm. And that's something I think I'll talk about as we go through. So... Mm -hmm. um, so, what, so what advice would you have for any teachers who are listening in just now who want to develop an educational vision for PE who maybe don't have one off the top of their head or would you have well, any? Well I think that, I mean one of the bits that we found in, in, in the reading is that it is well unless the context is right for teachers to articulate their vision I mean I genuinely believe that if I pushed both of you right now You've got a vision for PE, but it's not something that you're, that you're asked to contribute on, on a regular basis. No. So is, is vision to be decided by the government? Is vision to be decided by your head of department or by someone else in the school? Or is it a collective thing? Um, so... Do you feel like... Oh, sorry. sorry. You know, I was going to say, do you, do you think it's like, do you think it's something that, that's more going to appeal to someone who's actually leading a department or who's striving for that kind of leadership position within a school or are you, is it 
basically aimed at all teachers that they all should have vision because it could be a tendency maybe if you are I don't know if you can correct me if I'm wrong but if you're just going into a department you're quite happy working and just doing your kind of normal job not as a PT just as a standard teacher and like where, where do, does your vision kind of I suppose it's your values isn't it it's what you kind of want from your job and the kind of fulfillment you're trying to get from it but is it more kind of important as a principal teacher of a department to have that to have that vision or am I completely I off track? Traditionally, you know, traditionally the, the top-down leadership, the word vision is used a lot for the leaders. Yeah. Um, if we're working with 100 students a year, um, I don't think they know how they are going to be in four or five years when they're working in schools. Uh, and clearly lots of them end up becoming heads of department. Quite a lot of them become senior leaders in schools. And certainly we do a lot of work with a few um, of the P teachers that are, that are now head teachers. So I think at the moment, at this moment in time, I imagine that teachers being asked to articulate their vision is not something that's part of what's happening all the time, but mm -hmm. I don't know. So as part of what we would like to do is start to track, and the cohort that we, that we worked with first was the, the students who left in 2000, and I'm trying to get my years right here, who left in 2019. No, they left in 2020, but we worked with them in 2019. And that's a group, and there's about 60 of them have said, we're happy if you track us through. So our big job, I think, is to start to find out how the whole notion of vision is real or not real for these students who are now teachers. I think of that, I think we have to be start to work from the uni with people in schools. Yeah, and track it. Um, because I, I genuinely don't think, I don't think you can just say, let's start talking about vision now and let's just change the whole, you know. And it could be in 10, 15 years, we go, that never worked. I've got lots yeah. of things in my career that worked and lots of things that didn't work. Mm -hmm. um, but certainly I feel quite passionate that the voice, there are so many people involved in sport, physical activity, health-related activity now, that the voice of the physical education teacher, I think, is incredibly important in what physical education looks like in the future. Mm. Yeah, definitely. I think, I think it's from a faculty, as a faculty, not as a faculty head, but from a faculty head's point of view, I think they would probably need to have their vision well, like really up their sleeve and if they're challenged from senior leaders or and there's not our parents, you need to have it by kind of ready, ready to go if you're having to kind of sell the value of your subject. And like we had a discussion, who was it we spoke to? Was it last week on the podcast? I think it was George Maxwell, wasn't it? And he was saying that um, it's still to this day, like there's a lot of people that just don't see the value in it and it can, uh, you know I mean? So if you're able to articulate that, 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 um, that vision, like you say, then it can. Uh, obviously reinforces the kind of credibility of the subject. So, and the, I think there's a few things. I, I'm pretty positive about what the future of PE will be. I mm -hmm. think that the way that education is being looked at, on one hand, 
there's still bits of it that are locked back in the last century, but as we're opening, the whole idea of whatever interdisciplinary learning is and more integrated holistic type learning. When I started as a PE teacher, it was really difficult to justify PE because it was all about this mind-body dualism that the mind is important and the body is the receptacle of the mind. And that, it was just like banging your head off a brick wall. I still think that is partly there, but as each decade's gone by, I think we're seeing PE becoming much more integrated into lots of experiences that are happening in schools and across schools. And yeah, I think, I think the future is starting to, to look a little bit better as education changes and as physical education doesn't necessarily change massively, but it becomes more integrated within education. So do you think PE like kind of adds value to other subjects then in terms of the experiences of like the pupils have in the schools? There's a lot of crossovers, or would you say that? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think we're now, again, if you go back, you know, 100 years, health was only about the physical. Health yeah. now, and if you look at health and well-being as part of CFE, you can see that it's about the physical, the cognitive, the social, and the emotional. So the idea of human beings as being this split of mind and body is, is, is no longer part of the whole sort of story of, of what it's all about. Mm -hmm. So I really think that, that over the next 50, 60 years, or actually in your career time, I think you'll see PE starting to, I think you'll see schools starting to open up their subject areas. Mm -hmm. well, so it's more like connected, is that what you mean by that? Yeah, and if you go to, Finland's the, the, the main example in the world at the moment, where they're more or less saying, it's time to stop having school subjects. Yeah, right, okay. It's, it's, it's time to look at learning as a much more integrated thing. And, and I do understand that some people listening would go, well, that's just not going to happen. That's um, going to take some amount of collaboration and all that, I would imagine, from all, like the full school, like constantly working in teams with other teachers and things. Yeah, I mean, I think it changes the, um, I mean, I always remember seeing a programme once on the telly and someone saying, you know what's going to happen? In 300 years, they're going to say, we had these things called schools, you're not going to believe this, this is what they were like. <laughs> um, and, and, and if you still think, you know, that if, if, if schools cut off into little parts every bit of learning, mm. I, I mean, when I was at school, I didn't get it. I didn't get school because I used to go from one subject to another, to another, and just be told stuff that really worked out. I wasn't, I mean, I wasn't a particularly successful student at school yeah. because it didn't really seem to make sense. Mm -hmm. And I suppose my whole career, personally, my whole career has been about trying to make sense of what learning is about and where does PE fit into that? So go back, you know, go back to your point, Clark. Does PE fit in? Yeah, I think it fits in with lots and lots of other things. However, if PE only concentrates on the physical, mm. and don't get me wrong, the core of what PE is, is the physical. Yep. But if it's only about the physical, 
we put ourselves in a difficult position. Yeah, we cut ourselves off from other, other, other opportunities from connecting to other subjects. Definitely, yeah. I agree with yeah. that. I just think the PE connects across school, maybe not every subject area, but connects really quite nicely. And it mm -hmm. connects brilliantly with what's happening in the community. Mm, definitely. So I think that, I do think the potential of it, but just taking us back to the vision bit, I think what's really important is that there are so many other people involved in the world of physical now that somebody has to be there to have the educational voice for PE. And as you will know, very often PE is not perceived to be particularly educational, which I completely disagree with. So I think, going back to this vision thing, I think there's a need ultimately for departments to look inward to share visions, but also to start to look out. And I don't think it's just the head of department's role to actually articulate what PE is. You know, I think ultimately um, it's about how all of us can okay. share that educational value of PE with our colleagues. Yeah, I think we totally agree, Mike. We all need to have a voice within the department to make it more powerful. Yeah. Do you mean it in terms of like a vision for like PE teachers as a whole, like coming from a governmental, a government level, or say that again? Do you do you mean like when you when you were speaking about? having a, a vision for or a voice for PE teachers do you mean like coming from a government level no not necessarily no, I, I think ultimately you, you the, the voice of physical education from teachers in schools across schools and into communities yeah I think I think it's difficult to you know, now clearly there is always going to be, governments are always going to have their nose in deciding on certain things. But remember, governments constantly change. Mm, yeah. And governments are, by definition, political in terms of what they want. So if you go and look at the PE curriculum from the English government and look at it from the Scottish government, they're almost unrecognisable in parts yeah. of it. So... Governments have got a clear agenda in terms of what they want. So I go back to the point, I really think that the, the voice of PE ultimately is PE teachers working together, but also sharing that out beyond the group that's just PE. And don't, I know, you know, that potentially what I'm saying sounds all, you know, airy-fairy and out there, but I think over time, it's a long, long journey um to do that but there's so many people so passionate about what PE is about you know yeah and you get things like sat PE and all that as well which is a, as a starting point isn't it for for the voice of physical education teachers in, in scotland i suppose absolutely and and, and therefore go back to your point about government you know so it, it's groups like sat pay who will have more access to government mm -hmm. you know, it's much it's much more difficult when you're a teacher to ever get the time to engage with government. So groups like SACPAY and other groups have the opportunity to, to, to engage with government and influence that. Yeah. And it'll be interesting to hear what other people's visions are for PE. Um, so 
if anyone's listening in, give us give us a wee message with your vision for PE, and we can see if we can share it on our on our Instagram. Um, <laughs> that, we'll send them over to Mike. We'll send a document over with all the ones we've collected. Well, that, I mean, what we did, we we've got a paper that we wrote in that got published in the curriculum journal, not the curriculum journal for PE, the curriculum journal for all curriculum, and. Um, what we did was we ended up taking 20 of the essays with agreement from the students yep. and they were writing what their vision is. Right. And that in itself was a really interesting exercise because although there were quite a lot of similarities at the main overarching level, there was none of the visions were exactly the same. Ah. Now, now we know that Part of it will be it was an academic exercise and they had to, but that's a starting point. And now we can look back at what the students wrote at that point and how that changes over a period of time. Um, so mm -hmm. we've now actually got some evidence of what at the end of their four years at the uni. But I go back to the point, we are completely conscious that as soon as the students leave, they will start to create their own world in this new context um, and how that vision changes and I've got to be honest I'll be really interested to see how that evolves over time. That, that kind of leads us nicely onto, onto my next question then Mike so obviously it's going to be a long-term project with the, the vision project so how are you going to kind of keep in touch with the, the students to find out how their vision's potentially developing as they can they go into the teaching profession then? Yeah, I mean, at the moment, I suppose one of the answers to that is that we have to go and start to find some money to do research. So oh. research uh, costs money. Well, it costs money because it takes time with people. But at the moment, there's five of us working with the students who left a couple of years ago. So we didn't seek to track the students last year in their first year, partly because it was their first year. Secondly, they were in schools that they wouldn't necessarily be in the future. We also know that from previous projects on vision, that in the first year of teaching, vision just goes out the window. It's about survival. Yeah. And then we had this thing called COVID. So <laughs> we sort of felt... The vision that, certainly would have changed there. <laughs> yeah, you know. So, so the whole... The whole so during this year and, and I suppose how many of the students who are now teachers will stay involved in the project we will find that out mm -hmm. so at the moment this is a conversation which is saying here's what we've done at the university over a number of years it really becomes real in the next year or two as we start to find out um, how the change in context, how their new lives have impacted upon their visions. And, you know, you could have me on in a year from now and I might go, well, none of them wanted to be part of it. And actually yeah. they've all said it was a lot of rubbish and blah, 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 blah. How difficult is it? How difficult actually is it for you to get the students and like the, obviously the, as they go into becoming te a teacher and they've got all this other stuff happening and just like you said, it's survival. How difficult is it for you to successfully carry out one of these projects? I mean, with, with We've done some projects in the past. This is probably one of the bigger ones. I know that uh -huh. Denise is doing her, her master's with, with some of the students who left a few years ago. Um, so I will answer that one. Once you've... 
once you know once we've got once we've gone down this but you're right i mean you know all our lives are complex when you end up you know working in Ockenshugel high school your life changes when mm -hmm. you went to work in Kirkcaldy 800,000 miles away from Larrick, you know, <laughs> your life it feels like, like it. Absolutely you know, feels like it. 55 miles, it isn't it? You said some, some trek. So you're still doing that? Yeah, every day. Well, I, well, we're moving eight miles closer to the, the sunny village of Carnwath. So that's going to take off a whopping half hour of my drive every day. But well, that's what he was saying, Mike. He's, that's what he's, his vision is for, for this year, is to, try, <laughs> to try and get a bit closer. <laughs> <laughs> my, my, I, to see the fourth road bridge from my house. I think, I, think that, I think that's an excellent point, though, is that I, I get a job and it's 55 miles, so it takes me an hour and a half one way and an hour and a half back. Right. And then you turn around and say, why am I thinking about vision? So I think it's like anything. Um, how do, do, when do things become important enough to be part of what we do? And mm. I'll be quite honest at the moment, I don't know if down the road that's what we're... I'm pretty sure that out of the 60 students who've come forward that we will find a number of them who are interested. The number, I don't know. Um, will we, over time, be able to work within our schools to create a context where vision is part of the agenda of Scottish PE? I don't know, but we'll have a go at it. So is that, your, is that your overall end goal? Like, is that what you've got in your head for this yeah, project then? I think, the, the, I think the voice of PE teachers is unbelievably, um, and don't get me wrong, SATPE is the association that's the voice of the PE teachers. Yeah. Um, and I understand that. Um, what I'm saying is this is, you know, every teacher having a voice and how do we create a context where those voices, if nothing else, so that the physical education departments around the country are able to articulate that vision with each other, which I'm sure many of them do, mm -hmm. but then how can they share that beyond and there and start to meet government ultimately and SATPE and whatever else? Um, yeah, I think that's spot on. I think, I think it's something that could be spoken about a bit more like between, between ourselves and, and departments, I'm sure. And it's always a good reference point when you're speaking to kids or... Um, other members of staff about the vision for Pete. It's always a good reference point to go back to. This is why we're doing X, Y, or Z, um, and this is why we believe in it, and the benefit of it. Yeah, because there's something. I was reading a book last week. A Scottish. I I go to sleep reading Scottish crime noir stories, and it was it was set in the north of Scotland, and it was some it was something in a school, and there was a page and a half about how PE wasn't a real subject. Mm -hmm. In PE, wasn't about learning, and you just you just sit there, and uh, so it's still part of the narrative that PE is maybe not educational, and I just don't agree with that. Yeah, yeah. I suppose that's, that's that's where the project will come in. Hopefully, the voices of the PE teachers will ring loud and clear, and we'll share that message that it is. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. Well, I suppose I that can I. What we've just been speaking about kind of leads nicely onto the, my, my final question for you, Mike, then. So why do you believe that physical education is such an important subject in terms of what it can teach our young people? So I go back, I suppose... I didn't really ever want to be a PE... 
I'm going to get to my point, but I'd never really wanted to be a PE teacher. I did do very well at school, and I was good at rugby, and they said, go and be a PE teacher. And, uh, and I'm not even sure, and I maybe shouldn't say this, but I didn't really enjoy PE college and ended up doing an extra year. I was a bit of a, bit of a wayward character at the time. But when I started teaching, I really sort of really, really enjoyed it and got really into it. But I was very, very conscious, and I, this is stuff that I said earlier in the podcast, that PE was really a square peg in a round hole, or a round peg in a square hole. Um, that it just it didn't fit in with what the dominant way that people saw education to be about. It was all about the cognitive domain. It was all about a few academic type of subjects. That's what it felt like. Um, I think that will still be pretty much the same. But one of the things, or two things, I think that are major that have happened. One of them is that, I go back to that point where people are looking at the idea of learning. And if you go to the academic world that I inhabit a lot now, and a lot of the reading is very much about learning being integrated and humans being integrated and holistic. And that's becoming more and more part of of the discussion about learning. And I think that brings PE much more comfortably into education. But I think the other bit is that when I did my master's at Glasgow oh, over 30 years ago now, one of the things that started to come out then was evidence of the, the benefits of lifelong engagement in physical activity. So the work of Ralph Paffenbarger in a big longitudinal study that was published in the North England, North, Northern New England Journal of whatever, and there was other work. And what's happened is that over the last 30 odd years, the amount of evidence to support not just the physical, but the psychological and the cognitive and all the benefits of physical activity. And I think one of the really, for me, one of the most interesting things from COVID was that we were all in lockdown, except you had to go out to go and exercise. And I can guarantee you that when I was your age, if that had been COVID, that wouldn't have been part, that wouldn't have been on the table. So I think what's happened is the value of physical activity, of exercise, of physical education has become much greater yeah, definitely. in a relatively, and I also think the way that people are starting to look at education. So, and I suppose, you know, I, suppose I sit in my office and, and I'm allowed to go and think and spraff these things, but I do think the future for PE, there's a lot of people that are still very negative about it. I was just reading a paper today that was dead negative about it, but I genuinely think that the future for PE is potentially very positive and go back to, and that just links to your question, is that being physically active is not something that you do without learning. You know, how do you learn to be physically active over your lifespan? Mm. And, and it, it's a very complex process, I think, for most people. And more and more people are becoming active the way education is being approached, I think, opens it up. And the day of, you know, and there's so much happening that um, the potential benefits are, are absolutely enormous. 
got a wee bit carried away at the end there. No, I, point or? no, absolutely. And I just think as well, I think that's where the vision thing comes in um, really well. That ties in with that in terms of the benefits of it. It's trying to, it's the difficult, the challenge I think is like if a, a pupil asks you, oh, why are we doing this? Or why, why, why didn't you do P and all that? It's been able to try and articulate those, those benefits and trying to get them to understand that how important it is for, to, for living a, a healthy lifestyle as well. And the, it's trying to convey the passion that I have for leading a physically active lifestyle and the benefits that I've reaped from it to a young person that's say 16, 17 years old, or maybe even younger, 15. Do you know what I mean? I think that's um, I think that's very important as well. But that's that's where the challenge lies. Is trying yeah, to... and what's really important there is is that although you were talking about physically active life, you talked about the passion of that physically active life. So the point really is that you know to get to the point that you're passionate about it, you've got to do it. Yeah. But it's got you've somehow that's got to be emotionally a positive experience. Yeah. You know, not rocket science. We don't do things if we can if we get choice that we don't like. Yeah. So we've had bad experience. How do we turn that for you know and, and let's face it, there's kids that we all we've all worked with who are going to be physically active no matter what. Yeah. I'm not saying yeah. you ignore them, not at all. But certainly in my early day of teaching PE was about those kids. Mm-hmm. Um and that's, I, 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 I will be, I mean, one area that I will be, what's the word? Well, I'll, I'll just make a point. I, I'm not sure that the national qualifications in PE, with their focus on performance, yeah. I'll leave that there. I'll leave that hanging. I've just mm-hmm. used, put the term not sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're not sure that I'd back that up. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm not. I, I think it's a part of PE. Yeah. But and certainly, I know that the students, as they arrive with us, have this performance picture of what PE is. Yeah. I think it's it's like it's good to have there as a as an option. But do you feel there there should be? Or I guess you obviously have these sorts of discussions all the time. Do you feel there should be some sort of other pathway that's maybe a qualification that kind of steers away from that performance elitist. Yeah, I mean, I don't, know if, I don't know if it has to steer away from it, but I think, I, I think physical education is not just about performance. Mm. And I don't, I, think, think I don't think there's any literature that I can read anywhere that says it would be just about performance. So I think what could a national qualification look like in what what in a sense, just go back to your, your, your thing, that helps people create a passion for physical activity. Yeah. It's not just about performance. That puts a lot of kids off actually, when that is a performance. Well, and, 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 and if that is the case, so therefore the whole, that part of the vision, so that's a question. In our third year, our students do a lot of national qualifications. What we have to get them to do is at least think about where they see the nature of what the national qualifications are in their vision for PE. Now, that may go out the window when they start teaching. I get all that, but I think I would argue that our job is at least to get them to think about it. Mm -hmm. And some of them go a bit crazy about it because they don't don't quite agree with the way it is. So that's by the way. Sure, it's good. It's good for their, their um, experience having that self reflection on trying to develop their own ideas about what's happening in schools. Yeah. 
Um, right, so finally, uh, Mike, we'd like to get your opinion on, we asked this to a lot of our guests and get very, very responses. Um, so what do you believe makes a high-quality teacher, uh, given your 38, 48, is it? 48 years of experience? I'm trying to think now. It's probably for, I went to college in 1973. Yeah, 48 years. There you go. Yeah, boy, sir. So, <laughs> so, so over that time, then, what would you say makes a high-quality teacher? Or if I'm asking, asking about it in the current climate, then what would your answer be as well? Well, I think, actually, I think the word, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a I know why you asked that question, but I think the word high quality has become part of the, um, the, the narrative of education. High quality, this high quality, that, you know, let's just be good, you know. Let's, let's, let's. So in terms of ultimately the teacher of the 21st, the professional teacher of the 21st century has to be adaptable. Now, what I mean by that is that, you know, there is not just one way of teaching. There is not just one PE. So a big part of the lectures that I've been doing the last few weeks is that PE is always becoming. And it's, it's multifaceted. That, and PE teachers are constantly becoming. So we, we need to develop adaptability. Now, what does that mean? Well, it does mean that when you go in, particularly now, because our students leave and then have one year in a school that they probably won't be in after that. Uh -huh. And they can go from one school that is completely different. So yep. it's not as if you can end up saying, I taught in one school for 40 years. But even, and you'll know it, you can get an S2 class that comes in and then another S2 come class comes in and they're completely different groups of kids. Yep. So I think our ability to be adaptive is so that we are able to support learners, kids in, in their learning, um, is something that doesn't just happen. So I think the idea that there is something called a high quality teacher is for me a bit concerning in the sense that this is they could do this 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 but actually in one context so, so let, let me give an example it could be you're in a department where actually the school teams are the most important things and in edinburgh i'll take you to schools not necessarily in the state sector but where that may be the case yeah. um, <clears throat> there might be schools where it's about inclusion that's major it might be that it's about sport. It might be it's about the national qualifications are the most important thing. It might be that it's a focus on gender or whatever. So I think you've got departments that are all different. And actually, as you move into there as a teacher, how do you adapt to be able to fit in there? So you need to be able to think and you need to be able to practice and actually, I think you need to have a pretty good vision of where you're wanting to go, but how can you adapt your vision to fit into that situation in different schools? Yeah, that's what I was just about to say there. So would the vision need to be adaptable as well? And you just I sort of touched well, on I that. Think, I mean, I, I, think the, I think the idea that um, if I'm a new teacher and I've got a vision and I come into your department and say, 
Um, that guy, Mike Jess, said I should have a vision, and I'm going to tell you what that vision is, and you've got to listen to me. Um, clearly, that student is bonkers if that's what you know that they're going to do. You know, so you know, fitting in is a key part of the world. Um, yep. So. I think you have to be adaptable and, and your vision, and it doesn't mean, doesn't actually mean that your vision goes completely, but I can tell you there's lots of situations where I've kept my, my trap shut because that was the only way I was going to keep it all together and keep involved in things. Mm -hmm. yep. um, yeah, that was, a, that was a, a different spin on that answer. I absolutely love that one. I think that's so so important. I think people listening to that as well will take a, take a lot from that because oh, it is, totally. it is an, and that's been one of the, obviously, it's when I was applying for jobs and stuff like that, you, you constantly, well, I don't know about anybody else, but I've like um, questioned myself and thinking, oh my, am I going to be able to adapt and be able to fit in with this department that I'm maybe applying for a job in? Am I going to be able to teach the national five or the higher curriculum the way that they do it because i'm used to doing it this way like it's it's a lot to think about and it's, it's big changes when you went to try and fit in and do it the way another school potentially does it oh absolutely and um i, I mean when i say even working at uni we we've got to adapt and change on a pretty regular basis mm -hmm. um to to keep ourselves ahead of the game and and what there so yeah i mean um I'm not saying that you didn't have to be adaptable 50 years ago, but I do think life now requires us to be adaptable um, and probably more adaptable than we've ever been. Um, so I think that's a good, good uh, key takeaway message in for the, the end of the main part of the episode. Uh, Mike, thanks for, for sharing your, your, your thoughts there and experiences. That t well, that, that brings us on to the, the final bit that we, we do with all of our guests, Mike. So we have a wee quick fire round of three questions. So three three quick questions, three um, answers just off the top of the head as they come at you, all right? So number one, if you could have a giant billboard anywhere, what would it say on it? And it doesn't even, it can just be anything at all. I suppose it would probably say, I was there. Brilliant. <laughs> and I was there and it probably... Just as, as one story, it could be lots of places that I was there, but in 1971, I was at Hampden Park. I'm much more into rugby than I am football, but it was a year after Celtic got to the European Cup final um, and lost to Feyenoord. But for 37 minutes, this team called Partick Thistle, it was a Scottish League Cup final, and after... 37 minutes, Thistle were leading 4-0 and it was the most incredible experience of my life because I was brought up about 800 yards away from Fernhill and um, there were people around me just crying. Uh -huh. I mean, it was just, you know, so, so that was one of my, I was there experiences. And I was against like Celtic. A couple of years ago when Scotland beat England at Murrayfield, that was uh, another one. Yeah. So, I was there experiences. Oh, that's brilliant. I like that. But we, we actually had uh, Frank Coulston who played in that cup final. Yeah, he actually did. I, I was actually looking up to it because I, I looked him up on. and um, was he head of P at Stranraer? No, uh, we were going to get him on a few weeks ago, but we're, we're still going to try. But um, it was a bit of a, a, bit of a uh, shame for him. He couldn't get his Zoom to work on, on, the, on the night. <laughs> but um, that was part of our introduction that he did score or something or... I'm sure yeah, he scored, um, scored in the cup final. It was de he definitely played that night anyway. Yeah, 
Oh, it was a, it was a, oh, it was amazing. And actually, the goal, a guy, I think it was a guy called Alec Ray scored a sort of Brazilian sort of um, volley from about 23 yards out, um, yards as it was then, um, mm -hmm. into the top left-hand corner. So, yeah. Brilliant. And what, so, would you say that was at Hamden? Yeah. Yeah. I actually was at Hamden. So I just I, I was at Hamden in '73 when Scotland beat Czechoslovakia 2-0 to get into the World Cup for the first time. Big Joe Jordan scored, and there must have been over a hundred thousand people. And in 1975, I was also I was there. I was at the Scotland Wales rugby match at Murrayfield, and yeah. Murrayfield held seventy thousand people. And there was one hundred and five thousand people in Murrayfield that day. It was wow. one of the scariest experiences of my life. Um, and that you were in the crowd and you were lifted off your feet. There's nothing you could do about it. Because there was just so many people. Um, wow. So. And was Hamden standing at that point? Mainly? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, that's the... It was sort of... Yeah, the 70s into the early 80s. And then there was, a, unfortunately, a lot of the disasters and uh, football yeah. crowds. And then since then, it's all been seated and whatever. Um, yeah. I also didn't know for your answer there that Celtic got to the 1970 European Cup final as well. Did they compete? Yeah, they competed. Yeah. So they won. They won. Um, 67. They won 67. That was. Uh, and and then Ray. But I mean, what was really interesting in terms of Scottish sport? I mean, Rangers and Celtic are massive in terms of the the influence they have on on Scotland. Um, but at that point, Celtic were very successful, but actually Rangers won the European Cup Winners' Cup as well. Um, so if you think about the level that Scottish football was at at that point. Yeah. Um, was, so, that the, was that the European Cup they got to the final of in 1970 or the European Cup Winners' Cup? Celtic got to the European Cup. It was European Cup, yeah. They okay. beat Leeds in the semi-final. Um, oh, well. I'm talking about it as if it was just yesterday. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's crazy, but I think Scottish teams were up there challenged with the, the, the oh. best. Well, the bit, the, the bit that they always say about the Celtic team of 1967 was that every player was born less than 22 miles yeah, from Parkhead. You know, yeah. so, you know. Amazing. I, 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 I don't get that now. What went wrong? <laughs> <laughs> right, number two then, Mike. That was, we kind of went off on a wee tangent there, but that was good. Which people or books have had the biggest influence in your life? Yeah, I, I realised people, I could, I'm not going to name anybody, but actually the people that have influenced me, it's been a double bit of people who have positively influenced me and people who have done things where I've, or who have consistently done things where I've gone, I'll never do that. Yeah. Um, so I'm, uh, but, but my one aha moment was a, in about 1987-88, I was working in primary schools when I came back from Kuwait. I couldn't get a job in secondary um, and I wasn't really enjoying it. And I was doing my master's. And I went to the library at Murray House University one Wednesday afternoon, got some time off. And I picked up this book by a guy called David Gallagher, or it was Gallagher, McLennan and somebody else. And it was written in 1975. And I was all over the place at that time, 1988. And I picked up this book and I read the first three or four pages. And it was that moment where I wouldn't be sitting here now if I hadn't read all of a sudden this stuff. And I went, that's what I think. But I didn't know I thought that. Um, 
and that was you know so there's lots of things that have happened but there was just that moment and all of a sudden it changed the way that I looked at everything and you know most of the students that get through um, the first year at Edinburgh will read something by David Gallagher um, because he did a lot of you know developmental PE type work um, <laughs> I met him in 1972. I went to a conference in Waterville Valley in New Hampshire um, and I, I set up a meeting with him. And this is how old I am now. I had to write him a letter because in 1991, there was no such thing as email or the internet. Mm -hmm. um, Can I just uh, find him a WhatsApp? <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I mean, it's, it's incredible now. I mean, I... I this week I'll be speaking to people in about four or five different countries, um, just like that. Yeah. Whereas, you know, in, at that point you had to write to people and if you were going to phone them, um, it would cost you a fortune. So It's crazy to think how much it's come on, isn't it? How, yeah. how, how instant everything is, even information. So Gallagher is the answer Gallagher. to the question. Brilliant. Cheers. Number three then, what top three tips, you can kind of alluded to this earlier, what top three tips would you give to a teacher just now to help them develop a strong vision and be able to articulate it clearly to others? I think, I mean, I think the, the main thing for me is that it's a long-term process. I, I'm, I'm not going to say something that is, <laughs> they're not really tips, I suppose, yeah. because it's, it's long-term so that you can develop and evolve and change and and what I'm really interested in now is about negotiating boundaries understanding the boundaries that we're meeting and how we can negotiate these um, so I think I think it's very difficult even when you're older to get the idea that learning and I think we now know that teachers are learners and it's a long-term process and, and ultimately, and I go back, we want, we want to be adaptable. We want to be able to fit into lots of different situations and respond effectively. So it's long-term, it's adaptive, and it's fun. So try and enjoy it. Yeah. Um, Understand it's a process, be patient. Yeah, and actually you've hit it. It's, it so much of today, <laughs> want to say you know so much to face but it's about product and it's about doing things fast and I suppose the only thing I've learned is that um, if you do it too fast I don't think you enjoy it yeah yeah I know nah, you need to kind of work at it so it seems as if it's you've got a bit of benefit from the hard work I'm terrified of saying that because it's maybe you can cut this, but it just makes it sound like an old fart, maybe. So I'm not sure. <laughs> no, it makes it certainly it makes sense though. I think it's trying to not always focus on the end goal and try and enjoy the the process of whatever it is that you're doing as well. It's sometimes hard to do that though. Sometimes you always the two tunnel vision on. on and, and I have on got a third one, and and it it's ultimately all about relationships. Mm -hmm. So you two do this because you've got a good relationship and you enjoy it. Mm -hmm. And I go back to developing, certainly the, the work, again, personally, the work I've been able to do over a long period of time 
the stuff that's been successful is because I've got good relationships with certain key people. Mm -hmm. And you need to spend time developing those relationships. And I would argue as a teacher, to have relationships with colleagues and the kids is unbelievably important. Um, and if we don't, if we forget that, I think we get ourselves into lots of problems. Yeah, I would agree with that. That's a good, good final message to finish on. Um, Mike, thanks very much for spending your time tonight chatting to us. We've really enjoyed it, and I'm sure those who are listening in just now on their way to work or wherever they are at a walk, I'm sure they've enjoyed it as well. So, top man, thanks for that. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for inviting me. Well, Clark, that brings us to the end of episode 75. Would you believe it? I can't believe it, to be quite frank with you. It's crazy, isn't it? 25 episodes away from the big century. Some would call it crazy. Some, Some would, would call, call it mental. Absolutely wonderful. And for me, it's the latter. <laughs> right, serious in zone. So looking at tonight's episode then, um, looking at Mike Jesse's Vision and Voices project, what is your key takeaway message or indeed messages from tonight's episode? I think us as, as a teaching profession, PE teachers, we need to try and obviously off the back of what he was saying is be ready to articulate a vision, you know, know, know what it is for, for PE to create an enjoyable and fun working environment for, for both staff and pupils where everyone's, you know, striving to they learn, participate, and obviously achieve every lesson that they come. That would be that would be something that we would be wanting to celebrate as well across across the department. So I think we would need to be be ready to articulate that articulate that with with the, the kid, the pupils, other staff members, and extending into the, the community as well. I thought it was interesting what you said that PE's got a really important part to play in supporting the community now, whereas fifty years ago it was different. So I think there's a bit of uh, longevity there for the value of the subject yeah. which, was, which was interesting to hear yeah, I thought it was a, due a, to the, just due to the benefits P brings sorry, just, um, over, and, over and above the physical yeah. aspect of it more the mental and the emotional and obviously not to forget the social um, so that's, that's, that's mine and a, and, a, and a quick response here another very well put takeaway message from your good self Mr Burrow um, yeah, I, could, I agree with you there on the importance of being able to articulate your vision. If uh, if pupils do do ask you or parents or whatever on the, the kind of importance of PE and, and um, why we actually do what we do and why we want to to be PE teachers, what what do we want to try and get from it um, and try and convey to the young people that we're working with? But I liked what Mike says about being adaptable, and that was the kind of last question on where we ask what. Um, what makes a high quality teacher and I think he put a very good spin on that and spoke about there's not one thing because every single department um, does does it slightly differently so one department their vision could be looking at inclusion or it could be a focus on certificated or it could be on having good extracurricular sports clubs and stuff like that so I think as a teacher is it being adaptable to be able to go in and work in kind of other departments and do you know what I mean it's not there's not one thing there that, yeah. that that makes a high quality teacher, I think is what he was getting at with that. And that's put a different spin on that question. We've not had that before. So I thought I, I can, uh, that was a bit of a, a light bulb moment for me. I thought that was very good. I think that's also something very, very good to speak about um, in interviews as well. 
Well, thanks again for listening to this week's episode of A Wee Bit of Everything. We hope what Mike Jess had to say tonight was interesting. You had a few wee takeaways from that. There was a, a lot of good good information in there, and hopefully we'll find out in the, the future, maybe one or two years to come, um, the success of the, the Vision and Voices project that him and one of his colleagues at Edinburgh University are going to be to be carrying out. So. I just, just lastly, before we leave here, if you have a vision that you have for you, for yourself in PE or within your PE department or beyond that, send 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 them to us. We'd be keen to um, hear what they are and we can share them. Um, keep, them anon- keep them anonymous. Yeah, we'll keep them anonymous. Don't worry about that. Um, everyone's probably left anyway because it's a takeaway message. But if you're still hanging on there, then <laughs> send them in. Thanks again for joining us in this week's episode of the podcast. We hope you've been able to take something away that you can implement into your practice or life. If you regularly listen to the podcast, then why not leave us a review to let us know how we're doing and where we can perhaps improve. That way we can take action and further develop the Obo podcast. Until next time, we hope you have a fantastic week. Take care.